we are a cast iron brains, a podcast that knows that the trouble about progress is that it always looks greater than it really is. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Tonight is Monday, April 19th, 2021. Oklahoma City bombing day, right? Woo! I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> that was Lori, How by the way. Let's celebrate? rock your show. <laughs> How did you celebrate, Abe? You know, the usual. Abe went to a local federal babysitting office and just reminisced. I did not. <laughs> by the way, w- was that just a thing of the past? Because uh, no federal building that I go to has daycare services. Because like that was one of the. Oh no, your your IRS building in Atlanta there does not have no on-site daycare. Yeah. So much for the nanny state. <laughs> am I right? <laughs> Glad I wrote that one ahead of time. That was good. And that's a good open we did there. That's right. Strong. <laughs> you have a good weekend, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh... Was hanging out both week, uh, Friday and I mean Friday and Saturday. Saturday and Sunday with just friends who are all now vaccinated. I got my second vaccine last week and it's kicking in. I take it. Nice. We got a terrifying Amber Alert. You know the the state can send out alerts to your phone uh, wh- your whenever phone it wants and to. And Pandora and TV, like it takes over all the airwaves. Right, so we got a an emergency alert this morning. That let us know that anyone 16 and older can sign up for the vaccine in Virginia. They used the alert, like, yeah, like there's a nuclear bomb coming. Yes. You can get a vaccine now. I don't know. We don't have a very fleshed out show notes uh, tonight, to say the very least. I uh, forget what what did i say to you earlier today that i'm feeling uh despondent uh directionless angst about the uh about the discourse but it's mostly twitter right which is what it's built that should be like their mission statement maybe that is that, is, that might be a good like directionless uh, angst twitter a, a good kicker for twitter is just <laughs> come to twitter.com it's full of directionless angst um and maybe it is maybe i'm just and that like and I, I get into this thing where because obviously I should be spending less time on Twitter. Like I, I know that it's not good for me. It doesn't feel good. Like I the whole, hate it. I know Lori hates it. I, when I when and he picks very, up his phone and what he's looking at is Twitter, I die a little every time. Right. It's it's very easy to dismiss it as something that you should just ignore, right? Because and, and in fact, when I'm talking about Twitter, I'm not talking about like I follow a bunch of. Braves accounts, and I'm just, like, I'm not talking about baseball Twitter. Right. Like, I could have an entirely different Twitter experience if I chose. My Twitter experience is largely uh, a media Twitter experience. I follow almost exclusively people who write and people or you hate people I, who write reporters, opinion writers, who, that sort of thing. Right, opinion writers, uh, pe- regular reporters, politicians. It's not even that I hate them because a lot of them I actually really enjoy their newspaper writing. I mean, to the extent that you can enjoy a reporter's work. But yeah, sure, a lot of them are are bad and but say bad things online. 
what is the because I I use Twitter less than you do, but like I I do go on there every now and again, and I like it for the occasional link of a story that's interesting. But what I don't like is when people on Twitter interacting with one another, just sniping. I don't want to, especially these obnoxious opinion reporters who are like, you said this thing six weeks ago and they screenshot it and then they go back and it's like, I don't know you guys. Like, why am I in, watching you guys go back and forth about something stupid? You know, like just talk about, I mean, if you have right. an opinion. It's such, it's such like internecine bullshit, yeah. like uh, playground horseshit right. for like, just the dorkiest motherfuckers <laughs> on the planet, right? Like, they all went to journalism school, after all. Yeah. And it's... I don't know why I think it's important to interact with it, or at least not even interact with it so much, because I I mean, I think I've tweeted from that account that I'm using now, like, fewer than 400 times or something, and, like, a good half of them are just come listen to the show, right. my 22 followers that I have. And then trying to work out the right hashtags to put it in front of more faces, which is actually likely just bots who are not going right. to click and listen anyway. Uh, shout out to the bot audience out there. <laughs> They're not listening. They're robots. So, yeah, like, I mean, I don't interact very much, but like every once in a while I'll say my two cents and I never get any engagement and that's fine. So I don't know why I think that it is important to be abreast of the goings-on there. There's something about the fact that it's not just dorky journalists. They're thinkers. They're academics. They're people who are contributing to the culture at large in important ways. They're writers in Hollywood. They're comedy writers. They're right. whatever they are. And yeah, like I said, I don't know why I think it's important that I stay abreast of it. I know that it's like damaging me psychically. Right. But the problem, I mean, again, just this is from my vantage point, is that now that they, they all, or at least the ones that I follow, have like a beat, like a a shtick where I'm the person who talks about like like that Barry Weiss or whatever, like that, that woman yeah, that, that was Weiss. on real time, long time. Yeah. Where she's like, oh, these pr- fancy private schools are being, they're indoctrinating these kids, right? That's her beat. Uh Glenn Greenwald is By the way, and this is this not that this has anything to do with anything, but her tone in her writing is just insufferable. Not a big fan. Like, it's the the way that she she just has this like I know better sort of but also like school marmish like wise tone again. Yes, I know. It's a young woman, so naturally I have my what you, problems. What you're just saying describes a lot of people. I mean, all of, they all have that smarminess to them, you know, and it's, it's not just her. That's true. The, smar- the smarm is like – so there's, the, there's this guy, Tom Skoka, who writes he's – the, he's the head of the Slate political desk, I think, is his current job. He's the politics editor at Slate. Anyway, I've been reading him as a blogger for a very long time as, as these sorts of things go, and – he wrote a piece for Gawker a decade or more ago now called On Smarm. And it's almost inconceivable that the same person who wrote that is currently the person who tweets from his account because it's just an endless parade of Smarm directed at people that he disagrees with politically. Right. And actually, people that ultimately 10 years ago we would have never said that there's disagreement between these two people politically. The distance that people are fighting over right. in, in these circles is 
utterly minuscule. But if anybody steps a little bit out of the correct line for whatever group this other person is right. in, it beco- you become anathematized. And it's just in the, the least healthy thing I can possibly imagine. And it's what they're all doing all of Do the you- time. And I'm the asshole who's sitting there ingesting it uh, on the side. Do you think if you ask them, like, honestly, if any of them are having fun doing this? Because it seems like it's everybody's like i have to do this you know to protect whatever corner that i need protecting but i can't imagine somebody who wrote that five years ago is not being that and he doesn't realize it like look what i've become but i have to be this dick to stay afloat here there's one person there's one person who likes it it's matt iglesias matt iglesias (laughs) talks all the time about how much fun he's having on this website because he's just like he's like a happy idiot um, and I enjoy his writing. I'm not going to subscribe to his fucking newsletter, but I'll follow him on Twitter. Right. But, uh, but, I suspect, but besides Matt Iglesias, right. I don't think anybody has any fun on Twitter. Yeah, because so far too many of them will on occasion just swear red, uh, Twitter off. Like, that's it. I'm off. And then like a few weeks later or a few months later, they come crawling back uh, because I guess they don't get the high that they get. Uh, but it doesn't seem like everybody's having fun on that on that platform. No, right. it's it's the worst medium. Yes, it's like public because you yeah. because sitting silently isn't an option. It doesn't. You say you don't engage with it that much, but you're engaging with it almost all of the time. It's just that you're not putting stuff right. on the website. Right. right. So, like, why doesn't that count as engagement? It's first, no, of all? it's it's one hundred percent eating up. All sorts of real estate in my brain at all times. You're absorbing the garbage. You're just not engaging. You're not interacting with it anyways. You're not like... Right. And the the fact is, if I had gotten any positive feedback from it over the years, I would almost certainly be... Like, I recognize that. Like, if I had somehow developed... Right. If I had somehow developed a following of a few hundred people or something... And you had the right hashtag. Because it is. It is a purely distilled... Especially when you're somebody with the blue check mark, it's a purely distilled reputation warmongering thing, right? right? At all times, you're defending your good name right. and you're doing it in these teeny tiny little snippets and you're doing it back and forth, quote tweeting one another without actually interacting, right? right? That's, the, that's the sick part of it is that there's so rarely do you even see these people engage with one another directly. Instead, it's just back and forth, quote tweeting to their own feeds. So you, you're getting only the worst <laughs> right. representation of the person that you're up against if you're in this one person's feed. And you're getting only your be- – like, It's and- just awful. It's bad, and it's highly predictable in ways that surprise me a little bit. Because now, the more time you spend on there, you un- you start to understand the rhythms, and you start to like predict what the stupid conversation is going to be as you're reading. You certainly do that as you're reading the column. So you can read somebody's column, and I can already see the quote tweets of the headline of it. From one side of Twitter, whether it's what somebody from the right is going to be quote tweeting about some New York Times article or what somebody from the left is going to be quote tweeting about some blog that Andrew Sullivan wrote. Right. Like you can see it. The, no one has ever been surprised by any small part of this discourse. Right. And yet they just can't help right. themselves. And it doesn't help. It, 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 it brings no good to the world. And I, an example of it from today is we found out oh, that uh, that's what Brian Sicknick. Yeah. That, that's exactly what I was going to mention. Yeah. 
the sicknick is the cop from the January 6th riots at the Capitol who died. And the first thing that we heard, I don't know if it was as early as like January 7th, and he had been struck or in some way injured by a fire extinguisher, right? That was the story we heard about Brian Sicknick. And we heard about it for weeks without any more information than that, that he had been killed by fire extinguisher, by rioters, right? Right. And some people were suggesting that maybe we need more information than we currently have before we start talking about this cop who was murdered by fire extinguisher. But the entire, I mean, take this term for what it's worth, which is not very much, but the entire mainstream media narrative was pretty insistent on the fact that we know what happened to him and it was some sort of head injury as a result of being struck by a fire extinguisher. That sort of went away after the first couple of weeks and wasn't it wasn't mentioned over and over again. And then we just find out today, what are we here, two and a half months later, three months later, it turns out that it was, he had two strokes and a heart attack, I think, right? Like three at, different... At least two strokes. Before being struck with a fire extinguisher? Was, at no point was he struck with a fire so the, extinguisher. The way they described it was basically natural cause. Co- I mean, I, I guess it, the medical examiner could not make any link to the events... Right, so like those two things just happened at the same time, but he did not die as a, any sort of direct blow, either extinguisher or like a stick or exhaustion from it, well, just he just had a stroke or two strokes and some other medical thing, and he died from that. So right, and as soon as I saw the alert on my like Washington Post update on my phone says Brian Sicknick died of natural causes, he had two strokes during the Capitol riots. Is I knew immediately what the stupid Twitter dialogue was going right. to be about it, which is that the Glenn Greenwalds and the others who are professional contrarians on there who had pointed this out months ago saying, look, we don't know the whole story and maybe we shouldn't be swallowing this hook, line and sinker are going to crow about how right they were and how deranged the mainstream media is for failing to ask the right questions. And then the other side is going to come back and say, well, you were downplaying the seriousness of this whole thing. Like it, and it is so clearly like both of these things, right? right. It, is, it is both the case that people ran with a story that was the first story that they shouldn't have run with and that they allowed the narrative to get carried away. But it is also the case that like it doesn't matter if he was killed with a fire extinguisher or not. It doesn't lessen the harm that was perpetrated by the rioters that day. Are they explicitly culpable for murdering him with a fire extinguisher? No, of course not, That because that's not a thing that happened. But that doesn't mean that you can separate them entirely from the causal chain that results in this guy's death either, right? And it just becomes, and it's just so stupid that the level of conversation gets taken from the thing that actually happened to four steps later, we're talking about whether or not the New York Times properly covered the fire extinguisher end of this story and what it means about the entire media discourse. Well, you know, I, and I've, I think we're talking about – was it the Asian massage shooting story where – Probably. There's the – Talked about that twice. <laughs> like any one person can restrain themselves from this, but in a mass media kind of environment – it's impossible to prevent someone filling in a, an information vacuum, right? So it's basically almost like trying to corral a human stampede. Like for, basically, this happened January 6th. We find out 
was it today? Literally today on the nineteenth. It's except that what except that it's like creating the conditions for a human stampede at all times, constantly by giving it by giving it a forum like Twitter or Facebook. Like it's your. It's not trying to corral it. It's encouraging human but, stampedes at every possible but moment. But just like there's no one person responsible for a human stampede, there is no one person responsible for allowing or not allowing. I mean, what do you want people to – you want like Jack and Zuckerberg and them to like just say hush, hush until we get the, the medical examiner report? It's a platform for people to say whatever and people say whatever. No, I think that the website shouldn't exist because they're a social <laughs> but, drain on all of right, us. Right, but some other – platform would come you know like 11 chan or whatever and and that would be the platform people just basically people need to just say basically what they're saying like i want this to be true i want these enem- political enemies of mine to have been culpable in killing this officer right so hopefully that's what happened and if it didn't happen well then you're still responsible like i think some people just can't help but try to make i think i'm fine with that happening as long as it's happening in corners that the relative mainstream doesn't hang out in at all times right so there's nothing wrong with alex jones having his show and saying whatever fucking crazy nonsense alex jones wants to say there are only so many people listening to alex jones if the new york times was running alex jones content at all times then that would be a whole different sort of story there's also only so many people reading the new york times also did the new york times and other such you know, like uh, legacies and other like responsible media outlets. Nobody came out and said this is what happened. They they did the speculative framing of this could have been what did it. But you know, they always couched it around. We don't know because they never actually came up with a determination. But this is a possibility. That's a possibility. And maybe you shouldn't be doing that until you find out what it is. But nobody. Right, but if you asked anyone who paid the least bit of attention to the news in the weeks after the Capitol riots, you would have heard about Sicknick, who got killed I'm, by a fire that extinguisher. Had a, big, a big show for him at the at the Capitol, right? I mean, they they did a send off and lying in the rotunda and all that stuff, right? So they right. did a whole thing, and that would still be appropriate even with what we know. It's just like people naturally made the connection that this was caused by the people who who stormed the capital. Right. And there's nothing and like I said I don't think there's anything wrong with exploring that causal chain, right? Like I don't think like but for the mob rushing the capital, I doubt he would have had a stroke that day. Maybe the next time his kid did something super obnoxious and he flew into a rage because he's a mad cop, he would have had a stroke then and then he could have blamed the stupid fucking kid for giving his daddy a stroke. Like I, like who right. knows I, what the what the actual yeah, cause is. I don't is know there, how but, strokes work, but like could you excite yourself into a stroke? Yes, you can stress yeah, yourself into having stress. a stroke. So then how can they definitely mostly. say that there, there's no connection to the events? They can't no definite, one's definitely right, say Right, no that. one's definitely saying like I mean, something Greenwald. Like nat- maybe I misread the headline, but some, oh, died of natural causes. Ah, you know, he just had a stroke. They, But like natural causes just implies that it wasn't like murder Blunt force trauma or something. Basically. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, like that's. Yeah, that could They're be a just distinction. A f- yeah. So to move on a little bit, but to stay in the exact same vein, these are a few examples of things that I saw on Twitter today that – like, and this is just a couple of hours, like just browsing about Twitter at various points throughout the day. I don't know. I don't want to look at my 
my uh, app list and see how many hours I actually spent on Twitter today. How many hours are you awake? That would be depressing. <laughs> does, does your phone show you those stats? You can always I can find, find it. it, yeah. <laughs> Don't want to look. Uh, so there was a, a viral tweet Mine's all my game. from somebody who said, basically, who should host Jeopardy? Uh, answer the who, who should be the permanent host of Jeopardy? And he said, Werner Herzog is the correct answer. <laughs> Uh, linking to Werner saying something wonderful and hilarious and somewhat depressing on YouTube, uh, which he, I think he's right. I think that I would watch Jeopardy every single night. I would never miss one if Werner Herzog was the host of Jeopardy. Uh, which, by the way, and this is unrelated, but the person who should not be the host of Jeopardy, having seen him read precisely one Can question, is the the Green Bay Packers yeah, quarterback. I, that that would have been my guess. Aaron Rodgers, yeah. He was terrible. He's a bit of a stiff, right? Yes. And he doesn't exactly seem to know how to laugh at himself. No. You need to be sort of self-effacing or you have to be Alex fucking Trebek. Like, right. you know, but only Alex Trebek can be Alex Trebek and get away with it. Can't be like the arrogant By the way, sort of asshole quarterback and host Jeopardy. On this score, I mean, I, I was never much of a wheels of fortune and Jeopardy guy. But like, are people watching it because of – I mean, I know uh, – Trebek has been around forever and people are used to him. But if you're going to get somebody new, it doesn't matter. Just any dumb-dumb. Get like Ryan Seacrest in there. What, what does it matter who's... Well, you can ruin it with the wrong host. Like, like Dr. Oz or something? For the, right. For, for, for Aaron Rodgers, I would never watch Jeopardy if Aaron Rodgers <laughs> was the host You would literally not watch the show because of, <laughs> he's not that bad. Well, we don't watch it now. Right. We don't watch it now. We used to watch it every night. <laughs> we we haven't to, watched it in a while. That used to be nightly programming for you're us. Like the, uh... It would calm the kids down before bed. <laughs> I don't know why this. Cal, we would watch the Wheel of Fortune, which Callan called Letters. Letters. Witted, yeah. and he would get really excited when there was like letters. E e. <laughs> and then we would watch Jeopardy, and we would make him shut up, and then we'd go to bed. Yeah. No, I just thought it was amusing that you opened with you would not watch something, and then you followed up with, oh no, I don't. It's, it's like sometimes where people are like, oh, that's it. No more NBA for me. It's like you watch <laughs> right. a lot yeah, of I'm going to get on Twitter no and swear off Jeopardy basketball. that I haven't watched Jeopardy in four years anyway. No, I uh, I see enough Jeopardy content on Twitter to know like if something exciting is happening in Jeopardy world, then I will. It's true. Sometimes he makes us watch Jeopardy. I will find it or record it and, and then watch it if somebody's like on a long run oh, of impressive like, Jeopardy winnings. Yeah. Anyway, this guy just having a lighthearted – you know, trying to get a bunch of feedback and quote tweets and engagement with his content. He says, who should host Jeopardy? And he says, Werner Herzog, which is a good answer. And like literally the second response to it was, how about Hillary Clinton? Because it would make all the conservatives brains explode. <laughs> like that's the like. Yeah. But who said that? I don't know. Literally no, no one. No it doesn't one. matter. Why the fuck does it bother you? Like. Let no one go away. Because Don't it let was, it bother you. It's not that I let it bother me. It's just an example of how broken the stupid platform is or how broken the brains are of the people on there who would like immediately turn to uh, let's make this about the stupid partisan fight of the day. And Hillary – Like, and can you think of a less charming host besides uh, Aaron Rodgers? Then Hillary Clinton as the host of Jeopardy, like it's objectively a terrible choice. But, but you know, I know you have a soft spot for her. But. <laughs> people, I always take people who are robots that, that post uh, in such a way. They are 
basically it's like they're not creative or their brains don't work in such a way to come up with something better. So they'll say that because they know they'll get some engagement. Somebody's going to re- take the bait and just say, you dumb, dumb, why is everything blah, blah, you know, political, right? Somebody will right. – and that's basically all they want is for somebody to respond to something that they say. And that's basically right. their whole thing. So the only good thing is that it led me to like three clicks later to this video of Werner Herzog talking about uh, – somebody asks him, how many languages do you know? And actually, I'm just going to play the whole clip because it's just wonderful. I just got to find it. It's going to give me a second. All right. So this is uh, Werner Herzog. He is driving – and somebody in the passenger seat is videoing and sort of doing a little interview of him. Okay. How many languages do you speak, uh, Werner? Uh, not too many. I mean, Spanish, English, German. And then I spoke modern Greek better than English once. I even made a film in modern Greek. But that's because in school I learned uh, Latin and ancient Greek. So from ancient Greek to modern Greek, it's not that far. And I do speak some Italian and uh, I do understand French, but I refuse to speak it. It's the last thing you, I, I would ever do. You can only get some French out of me with a gun pointed at my head or, or something like that. Then I would speak French. It actually happened to me. I was uh, taken prisoner in Africa and drunk soldiers on a truck, all of them 15, 16 years old, some of them 8, 9 years old, and I mean, really scared. One pointing a, a, a gun here, a Kalashnikov, another one here, and another one hit there. So that was very unpleasant because they were all drunk, and some of the little ones were stoned. And I tried to explain that they probably arrested the wrong ones, and uh, captain of them shouts at me, on you parle français ici, here we are speaking French, so I had to say a few things in French. I regret it. shouldn't have done it. <laughs> wow. Abe, why don't you, sp- how many languages do you speak, I Abe? speak one language at a time, English. <laughs> how, so the question is, how many languages do you speak, Werner? Not, Not that many. many. And then he lists four immediately right. and then says he also knows some other ones and also he never speaks French. <laughs> and then talks about the time that a bunch of child soldiers in Africa abducted him and stuck guns at him and put, pointed a gun at his head. And then he felt compelled to defend himself in French so that he didn't get killed. But he regrets that now. And it does not explain, otherwise explain, why he doesn't want to ever speak French. As though it's just self-evident to anyone watching. So yeah, Twitter sucks. But three clicks later, I was at that video for some reason. And it was perfectly enjoyable. It didn't take much for people to stick around with things. Like if you have like one relatively positive experience after like 20 negative, you'll still stick around. You know, like... right. So another thing that I saw on Twitter today that was fucking stupid... Because uh, that seems to be the direction this podcast is going. <laughs> uh, Bill Maher had a piece of content from the weekend show that he does uh, real time on HBO. Was his essay went, at the end? Right. It went. Sometimes he gets one that goes relatively viral. It's not quite like the way that the other guy, John Oliver, reliably, if John Oliver does a segment, then the next morning, by like four in the morning, 
and then again at six in the morning, and again at nine in the morning. Every website that you go to, right. if you go to different yeah, websites, John Oliver is funny, and Bill Maher is not funny. Has reposted the entire thing and just said, "Oh, watch John Oliver roast so and so," which is obviously very annoying. Yeah, I agree. Bill Maher is not that funny. Also, he's not funny at all. John and Oliver he's is miserable. not that funny either. You know how John Oliver's mostly funny. You know how people like that Trebek guy. Like I kind of like. Bill Moore, because he's always been on TV ever since I came. Would. He's just always on. And so. Since politically right. incorrect. Yeah. I dislike. Bill, Bill Moore is a good example of someone that I dislike and like in basically equal measure. I don't, I don't think he's particularly funny. I just enjoy the fact that he's out there and that I get to engage with his content. And yeah, like I despise his. I've probably talked about. We've probably talked about this before on the show even. His opening monologues, his his stand-up set that he does so, to start every single episode <laughs> is awful. But it's so awful. It's, it's funny. It's, it's so amusing how he just – he never gets the reaction he wants and he's always disappointed. I mean there's like 10 people there now, but back when it was a full crowd – I don't even think that's the bit though. I think it's no, just bad. It it's, could be for real. Like I don't think that they know that it's bad in the way that like – like Letterman used to do basically the same thing where he'd go out there and say a bunch of – but his jokes were purposefully bad and awkward right, yeah. and designed he, yeah. to get a certain reaction. He's giving an honest Bill Maher's like, yeah. Right. They're just trying to land good yeah. jokes and failing right. for seven or eight or nine or ten minutes at the start of the show. I, I think he's probably like too loyal to his writing staff because – over the years, he hasn't changed. It's probably these old geezers, and they have the same shitty jokes, but he, he's not bringing in new new people, new blood. Right. So what's funny about his show, he's not – so the, the opening 10 minutes are are just awful, like just reliably terrible. Can't miss awful. Can't be skipping it. And then the second segment is usually bad, the too, interview because one? he's not a very good – he's not a very good one-on-one interviewer, right? So you're – well, usually he, You're 25 usually he minutes has like a fixation. The show. Like he has like a point he wants to like the most recent episode. I, I caught up. I was a bit behind on that oh, uh, show. Like watching old episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher. <laughs> That's how I like they're, to spend a Saturday. They're timeless. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Sharon Osbourne was in the interview portion, uh, the one-on-one, right. and he basically was just like, "Let's just talk about cancel culture or whatever," right? And like sometimes she wasn't really picking up on the points he was trying to hammer home and so there was a lot of right. no he he has something that he wants the guest to say yeah. and if he's not quite getting it then it gets very awkward and strange right. anyway the point is he's like the first 20 minutes of the show are usually not that good uh but i still like i we haven't been watching them mo- much lately and i can't usually bring myself to go back and watch old episodes <laughs> of timely <laughs> news commentary uh, unless it's obviously my podcast, which I have listened to on a loop, starting with episode one, uh, <laughs> over and over again forever. Not for nothing, but I was uh, that didn't seem to uh, trouble me because I was just watching a, a CBS this morning, Saturday from August fifteenth, like yesterday, Amazing. and I was like, "Boy, things wow. were a lot worse back then." Like just to see. <laughs> Something, uh, you know, the the president is different. Everything's different. There's like fires. It's fun. It's like a time. Anyway, so Bill Maher, because of the nature of his politics, sometimes does a video essay at the end of his show that gets a little bit of crossover appeal. Because uh, liberals don't love Bill Maher, even though he would consider himself a liberal. But every once in a while, he says something that catches on in conservative media. 
And this weekend was was one of those where he goes on a rant at the end about how he wants the medical community, as we were discussing earlier, uh, to just level with him, to to tell it, give it to us straight, tell just tell the truth, basically, as I've been complaining about for the last little while, uh, saying that all of the hyperbolizing about the dangers that we continue to face even after people have been double vaccinated uh, are overblown and are having uh, negative outcomes rather than positive ones. And he also like, and as is his want, he tends to also strike at the other, the idiocy of both sides. Anytime he goes after conservatives, he tries to whack liberals at the same time. And anytime he does something that. And the Democrats aren't any better. Anytime he talks about how shitty conservatives are, or how shitty liberals are being, he makes sure to point out how stupid the conservatives are in the same way. Right. On, on, on this particular essay thing that he did at the end, he was basically framing it around like, you know, it's accepted that there's a lot of uh, misinformation on the right, especially when it comes to the pandemic. And then he pointed to a poll where a lot of people on the left uh, – their assessment of the risks were way off. Like they thought like if you got the virus, you were like five times more likely to be in the hospital than, than what's the case. Basically it's like whatever you, whatever bad it is, you think it's like five or 10 times worse than. Right. People who got, people who got their news from the New York times or MSNBC had a very skewed understanding of the danger relative to the truth right? in terms of it being far worse, right. basically. Right. So basically it's opposite. Basically on the one side, they just think, oh, you'll be fine. And on the other side, you think, oh, you're, you're going to die if you don't. Fu-. Right. But if, but the, the funny thing about that is that if one in, so if a liberal audience believes that half of all COVID patients end up in the hospital and uh, conser- conservative audience just by dismissing the whole thing actually ends up closer to the right. truth. Uh, it says something about whether or not it's good and you get more information by consuming more news right. in this current environment. But you know, one uh, stat that he threw up there was similar to what the criticisms people on the right have about the negative coverage. Like, you know, there's, oh, like 90% of coverage of the Trump years were negative. And I'm like, was he doing bad things nine out of ten times? I mean, because if if it runs with you know, so you can't just make up positive stories just so you can have the math add up, you know. So in this case, they're saying the New York Times and other uh, outlets it was like eighty seven percent negative coverage about the pandemic. And I'm thinking, I mean, the pandemic isn't good news. Like, so if you're talking about it, right, it's going to be negative, right? I mean, five like. Right, but if you are able to compare it to the media ecosystem in Europe or some other country, and you can show that this other country, which was also suffering from the global pandemic, was somehow getting a different kind of coverage, then maybe it's worth questioning uh, what our coverage is like and why it is that way. Basically, he also frames this whole thing in terms of – Bill Maher does. He he framed his entire essay in terms of the fact that 78% of people hospitalized – for COVID uh, were obese, were, were overweight right. adults. Now, of course, that sort of elides the fact that two-thirds of all Americans right, that was the are other thing. obese yeah. anyway. Right. Basically, I was saying, okay, if, if 78% of them are in the hospital, how many of America is like overweight and obese? It's probably like 70% or something, or right. 65%. And, and it's the case that there are way too many fat people in this country. But anyway, the point is... None of that is interesting to me. What is interesting to me is that on Twitter, 
multiple times today, I saw people basically making the point, and it was made explicit by this one dude, and I don't know who the fuck it was. It doesn't matter. It was out there. It had a... a 1500 retweets and so many likes or whatever said i don't watch bill maher anymore because he's no different from tucker carlson that that this is what's in this person's head that they think that they're so smart that they figured out horseshoe theory so much that anything on one sufficiently on one side comes back around to the other side that there's not actually any difference between bill maher who a fellow liberal right Right. these are these are people who you would categorize on the same side of the ideological spectrum to the extent that we can coherently figure out what an ideological spectrum looks like saying oh he's no different from tucker carlson who last week was talking about white replacement (laughs) theory on his show (laughs) that's bonkers Right. right but that's what i mean when i say that people just get anathematized online and if you do not adhere entirely to whatever the current narrative is you become no different in kind than Tucker Carlson. Right. And that's absurd. And the same thing happened with Michelle Goldberg. Michelle Go- Goldberg is a New York Times columnist who for years, she's a liberal New York Times yeah. columnist. Like she is one of their in-house liberals. She's written for various other uh, left-leaning publications over the years. And she was dismissed today as an anti-trans, anti-black white supremacist by certain oh, people Oh, I missed the this. What? What did she do? Nothing. Okay. Yeah, she'd written a piece in The Nation six years ago or something. It was titled Feminism's Toxic Twitter Wars, in which she explains the back and forth on Twitter between white feminists and more intersectional feminists. And, like, I read the whole thing looking for the least bit of evidence that she was exhibiting any sort of anti-black or anti-trans, like looking for even the hint of it. But it it doesn't exist in the piece. There is no anti-black or anti-trans rhetoric in the piece whatsoever. She, she gives equal time to people who would be critical of uh, so-called TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. If anything, it's a piece that is entirely apologetic towards that worldview. But somehow the narrative about it in this person's head, who is referring back to an article from five or six years ago, is that this had become some sort of piece of uh, white supremacist propaganda. Where, where, what's the connection between – like, did, was there anything – connect like dealing with race in the story yes because the whole thing was that to the whole controversy is that a bunch of people freaked out about some feminist organization because they believed that there wasn't enough representation of black people within that organization that they shouldn't be trying to speak for all feminists because they weren't properly represented in the group now as it turns out the group had nine people of color within them when they made their recommendations. And one of the four leaders of the group was a black woman who got told by a bunch of white women on Twitter that she shouldn't be speaking for black women, uh, not realizing that they were talking to a black woman, of course. But the point is that there's nothing in the piece itself that suggests any of the things that people now associate with this person. But because they've made that decision about her, they thoughtlessly refer back to something that happened 10 years ago as somehow being definitional of her now. Uh, and this is a fellow traveler. Right. This is a this is a liberal in the same that was probably the wrong phrase. That would get me anti-Semitic uh tropes probably. You can edit it out of the show. That's not my style. 
I like to let the accidental anti-Semitism in <laughs> as a signal to the white well, nationalists the in the audience. So there's that. Anyway, the one that was really making the rounds today and really consistently getting me down throughout the day was another Andrew Sullivan controversy. Oh, what did he... Uh... Can this, I, this episode be titled Stuff That Got Bob Down This Week <laughs> on Twitter? Maybe. But I don't even remember and I don't care to look up the genesis of it, but it comes down to another conversation that he got into on Twitter about uh, race and IQ and an argument that he got into where I think he was just responding to someone calling him a racist. And the way that this gets ends up getting translated to two quote tweets down the line is basically all of media Twitter spent the day talking about how Andrew Sullivan finally took off the mask or took off the hood and is just out and out revealed himself to be the real racist that he always was all along. And we knew it in 1994 when he published an excerpt of The Bell Curve at The New Republic when he was the editor of The New Republic fucking 25 years ago now. And it's funny because with Andrew Sullivan, the question is always – that he's now finally taken off the mask. Like this is the 10th time in the last three years <laughs> that Andrew Sullivan has fully removed the mask to reveal what a racist piece of shit he is. And to this day, I can't find anything that you can point to that says Andrew Sullivan is a racist, right? right? So he's, and, and yeah, of course, racists don't usually come out and say, but that's, I am a racist. Right. But the whole point of, about branding somebody that, is to kind of shun them from whatever circle that they used to be in, right? And it's kind of hard to kind of work your way in. If enough people say that, most people don't pay that much attention. That's, oh, you're that racist guy. Right, and what's funny is then if somebody defends him online and says, can you point to this thing, like show me where he was being the racist asshole, and they pull up a quote from an article that he wrote in 2013 or something, right? And they say, well, here it is. And you read that and you read the whole thing and you say, I mean, I can sort of see what you're laying down here, but I don't, I just don't, it doesn't tell me the same thing that it apparently tells you about Andrew Sullivan's heart when it comes to how he feels about black people. And then that, like that alone is enough to get that right. person who says that they don't see the racism in those two sentences in the way that this other person does gets them, oh, well, I hate to break it to you, but either you're a racist and you know it, or you're a racist and you right. don't know it, but those are the only two options, and you're on that side of the ledger now. But you know, this scheme, this scam is run all the time, but people always fall for it. Like when pe people try to like, but no, that's not what's happening, and then they're like, oh, you must be one of his uh, water carriers, you know, and then you're out right. of position yourself. It seems to be a fruitless exercise to try to in defense of somebody you don't know, try to say this person is not this or that. It's just like, whatever, it's a stupid thing, but I'm not going to stand in that way. Because you're not going to get anywhere. Right. You're like, not going to convince somebody otherwise. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, I was wrong. I was calling this guy a racist for like three months, but you pointed me to this article from 2013. I stand corrected. That doesn't happen on right. Twitter. And the, the dialogue in media Twitter is that Andrew Sullivan walks around with calipers to measure people's heads. Like, <laughs> like it's that – like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, that's – and these are blue-checked, prominent 
figures in media talking about someone as though he's a literal Nazi, right? right? And it's just fine, apparently. And anyone who doesn't agree with that must also harbor some sympathies for Nazism, basically, is what they're saying. And the onus is not on the people making the allegations to prove anything, right? Basically, it's kind of backwards, so... Allegations that, for what it's worth, and it's nothing, but Andrew Sullivan would is appalled by, right? right? He would say that, yes, while we disagree about the underlying facts here, I, I won't do it justice here, but, you know, the human dignity of every each, each and every individual. This is a, a Christian who believes that everybody is the same before God, ultimately. And that doesn't mean that he's not also a bigot, and it doesn't mean he's not also secretly a bigot, for all I fucking know. Like, I I do not know. But there's nothing in the evidence that suggests to me, without a doubt, that he's walking around with calipers talking about how if your skull is a certain size, then you must be dumber. Like, it's it's just not—it doesn't check out, but it— for one side of the what has to be called this the media makers the mainstream what is acceptable dialogue then that is what right. it is and he's just a he's just a modern day clansman and like i said at the beginning of this stupid conversation that i don't even want to put on the internet for anyone to have to listen to i don't know why i subject myself to it except that it feels important that the most plugged in and the most prominent culture makers are behaving in this way and they're doing it publicly and it just doesn't seem good in any way that I can point to and and it, and I don't see an escape from it but, either. I don't see what the what the exit door looks right. like. Right. I mean it's not good but is there an opportunity for you to make any impact to make it better? Cuz like to me the answer seems to be no. Like you're not going to No, the answer is stepping away from it. Right. That's the only Thing that anyone and that's can do is I agree not with you. It. I agree with you 100%. But I also have this competing thing in me that says you cannot just be in the world. That to an extent you have to be of the world. Like it's not enough to just turn it all off. So do you think I need to be on Twitter more? I mean more than zero. No, I think Okay, so why is that okay? I don't know. I do think that you should have I mean, you. I'm not trying to make this personal. No, I I am. But I do think that one should have a firmer grasp of what's happening in the world than one usually does. But you don't think... Okay, but should I do that by reading what some people think in, what is it, 120 characters? Didn't they up it to... 280 now. 200? I don't know. But, like, should I... We're talking about me because I'm just a person. Should I be on Twitter more? No, I don't think that there's any benefit to you being on Twitter more. So what's the benefit to anyone being on it? I agree. They should delete the fucking website. So but why as- aren't you why like why is it good enough for you but not good enough for me or the other way around? Because I do engage with the media in a significant way, and I think it's important to know what's going on underneath the hood. And that's what Twitter is for me. It's a look under the hood of what's going on. It's not enough anymore just to read the New York Times and the Washington Post and uh, whatever other websites and not be curious about what's going on underneath the hood. At least it's not enough for me. It helps inform my understanding of the rest of the world to know What's going on under the hood of these people as they're going helping? about their days? Yeah, it is help. It, it helps me understand 
and contextualize the things that they're writing, I think. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that I think that it's hard to separate those things. And as long as it's available, I'm, what I'm saying is it ought not be available. But also, it is sort of irresponsible of me to suggest that I have a firm grasp of what's going on in the world if I'm not paying attention to Twitter at all. But if you just kind of skimmed it and like very quick. Oh, he can't do that. He's a total okay. addict. I, I go on there and just look, and I'm. Could, my impression of Twitter. No, is, no, 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 no. You're not an it's, addict. It's a very He's an addict. Distorted kind of world. It's just like you know they say, of the hundred percent of people who use it, ten percent are, are the ones that are doing all this nonsense commenting. So it's like you're getting, and everybody has no, to. No, you should have seen him the other day. Yesterday, he wanted to play a video game, and there was a feeling in the room that he wanted to play the video game. Like he's, he was jonesing for it. <laughs> and that's how Bob is. He, when, when there's something, it's a lot. And it's almost without control. And that's how Twitter is. He can't just skim it. He can't, like, not see it for a day. I don't... I, I can not see it for a day. I have not seen it for a day, plenty of times. <laughs> that one time in 2018? <laughs> it was Saturday. <laughs> I don't think that I'm living in a world entirely of my own creation here is what I'm getting at. Oh, no. I, I don't think, and I do think that it, as long as it continues to exist, it seems to be something that is worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, do I keep too much of an eye on it? 100%. Do I think that I would be better served... So, but that gets into big questions about like, what the fuck are we even doing here, right? Because in my head, a better podcast would be for me to read all of the works of Philip K. Dick consecutively and then fucking talk about them on a po- and write write it out and and make a good fucking piece right. of work uh, that again nobody would probably listen to, which I would hate be fine. Podcast where you can tell it's been read. It's so boring. Yeah, I agree. Conversation is better than dialogue when it comes to this particular right. format. Although plenty of people have plenty of success uh, doing it the other way. It's not for me. Sure, it can be not for you. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, it's it's funny because it's similar to a feeling that I had about working at Domino's when I was managing Domino's. Is of that course I'm, it is. Is that I'm? It's this gnarly line that I tried to walk. As being the man, quote unquote, without being the fucking man, right? Because I was the manager of a store. So I had those, I had management level concerns. But at the same time, I tried to make it so that I treated all of my employees in a way that I knew that the firm could not treat them, right? That Domino's itself is not equipped to treat the employees of Domino's as individual human beings in the same way that a Domino's over the long run has a lot of trouble treating all of their customers as individual human customers, right? right? So like... The reality of the situation is like we're doing this sort of weird and amazing thing, which is that we're feeding people. And, yeah, they're giving us money, but we're doing like this most basic of human needs, which is providing a meal sometimes for just some stupid drunk college kid, sometimes for the most annoying and obnoxious and and self-righteous individual that you can possibly imagine on the other end of the phone. And sometimes for just a happy family who wants to sit down around the television and not have to worry about cooking dinner that night, right? right? So it's this whole spectrum. And you cannot allow yourself to forget that that, 
what you're doing there is serving individual human beings. And that's how you try to keep yourself fucking sane is you treat the customers and you treat the employees as much like individual human beings at the same time that you're involved in this like demonstrably awful thing, which is the fast food service (laughs) industry, which shouldn't exist, right? We shouldn't have factory fucking farms. People shouldn't eat this much fucking cheese, right? Like like it's just a fact. We're killing people at the same time that you're trying to do the human thing with them. It's a work in progress. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Trying to walk that line between being in that world and being of it in the same way that I'm talking about being... Did you successfully do that at Domino's? Yeah, I did for two years. I did. Did you? Or were you miserable? Yes, I was 100% miserable. Then it's not successful. Right. It was successful in, in the terms that I set, which is that I'm trying to do something that is actually impossible and soul-killing. I just At Domino's... Who's winning? The answer is your employees, your bosses, and your customers. Who's winning right now? Yeah, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and uh, the people who have captured my attention every second of the day. But if it's not them, it would have been somebody else. I'm not saying that I'm – what's that? If it's not them, it would have been somebody else. I mean basically this – I always just think – it's not like if there was no Jack whatever, there wouldn't have been some sort of texting in the public. It's just – if if you frame it as I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for the employees and the customers who are humans that I care about. Right. But of course, at the end of the day, I was only doing it for me, right? I was only doing it because it provided health insurance and a paycheck for me. I wasn't actually getting anything out of it besides the money. It was just that the only way that I could accept the money into my bank account every two weeks is that I had to do it in such a way that I was not of that world. I was in it, but I was trying not to be of it. And I don't know if I'm not making the point clearly enough to draw the parallel, but it's a very similar thing with how I feel about being online is that it, it feels like I need to be there, but I cannot be of there. I mean, with work, I mean, yeah, there's a transactional nature of money and health insurance or whatever, like with Twitter and other, these other places, couldn't it just be like, I'm just trying to gather information, and that's like one of the the places where the information resides, and then I'll go there and gather the information and get the fuck out without getting caught up in the rest of the stuff, right? Like, isn't that one approach? Because just kind of like just being in that toxic environment is going to affect you after a while. Wallowing in it is very bad, but also I don't know if I can detach myself enough from it and not be curious about what's going on under the hood. Right. Like I don't know that I I have that ability. And as long as the as long as what's under the hood is there for the looking, like it's going to be hard for me not to lift the hood and see what's going on under there. But yeah, at some point I'm going to have to do cuz there was an element of the Donald Trump experience that felt like and you don't want to say things like existential risk unless you urgency. unless you really mean it. If but, you missed it, you missed something. But yeah, the experience of the five years of the Trumpening felt like something that mattered in a world historical context. And the sniping back and forth between Tom fucking Skoka and Andrew fucking Sullivan and Jamel Bowie on Twitter means nothing in any context to say nothing of the world historical one. And if there was a time to disconnect from it and, and stop injecting the poison 
uh, directly into the brain, that time was probably now. And it's a matter of figuring out an appropriate exit plan, but also still being of the still still trying to maintain I mean, like a foothold in the world. Yeah, Just I know that there are apps for that, and I will I will defeat them if I leave Twitter on my phone. It's just a it's a I don't know it's a, it's a problem that I don't know how to grapple with personally and I don't and it and even though the solution is so obvious which is to just stop fucking reading the news and or or just read just delete all of the social media off the phone and just read the Times app and the Washington Post app and just uh, get the headlines from Drudge or wherever the hell else I go right. on the internet that, that's exactly um, what I do right and that's fine that that, that is. There's nothing wrong with that approach. I just don't know. I don't know. I should be, I guess it's obvious that I should be doing something else, but I don't know. I don't know if I can half measure my news consumption in a way because it's been so long since I half measured my news consumption, right? Uh, You were killing yourself at Domino's. Right. That's the last time you did that. You just got to find something else to kill yourself over. Right, that's the thing. Is like, what am I going to fill the? What what does one fill the hole with? And it's just, it's either work or obsessing over. Oh, write a book. Yeah, right. But that required like that would be another. I'm not saying it would almost certainly be a better obsession, but they would become another obsession. Play worms all the time. Right, I could just play fucking video games. That would be fine. On um, on my iPhone. It says over the last ten days I spent seven hours and forty two minutes on Twitter. So maybe I also have a sim- that seems like a lot. Over the last ten yeah. days, that's nothing. It's, you know. Let me see if I can find it. I'll look. I'm I'm not promising that I'm going to tell anyone what the answer is here. Also, I have uh, Twitter on my computer browser, and yeah. <laughs> like it's, whatever so the phone it tells me on my phone doesn't capture story. my entire also, Twitter experience. 34 hours of uh, podcasts. That's a lot of podcasts. So I had three hours and 11 minutes of screen time today. Oh, that's actually pretty good. That's I think I doubled you. Well, my job yeah. is, you know, I can't look at a screen while I cut hair. Eight hours, 16 minutes, 50 unlocks, and 403 notifications. I've got sub two hours of Twitter, which is actually less than I thought it would be. And everything else is just Reddit or Robinhood or... Yeah, that's the other one that you're on lately. Yeah, I've been... Which doesn't piss me off as much. Yeah, Because you're just... It's like watching a game. Gotta follow the stonks. I don't mind that as much because you're not reading. You're just looking at numbers. I don't know. I mean, I started a website that is all about how there shouldn't be things like websites. So... (laughs) so, (laughs) I am a... Obviously, I'm a walking contradiction when it comes to this stuff, but I don't know. I don't have an answer except to say that I know that the way that I'm currently allocating my attention is not to my benefit, and it is not what I want to be happening. Uh, which sounds like a. a but is it beyond your control? Uh, no, I don't think it is beyond the way you my say control. That just there <laughs> sounds a little like it. No, I'm just trying to be honest. I don't think it's beyond right. my control, but I know that it's not to my benefit, and I know that I should be allocating my attention in different ways. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, assuming that I. Uh, actually turn this into a podcast and put it out in the world and it doesn't just become a conversation that I recorded with Abe and Lori for some reason. 
uh, podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter or go to the website at brainiron.com. I don't know what the crisis of faith is here, Abe. It's this weird thing where, like, I really enjoyed the podcast that we put out last week talking about those awful things that we talked about. But at the same time, like, why the fuck did we do that? Uh, (laughs) And aside aside from me getting something, uh, a kick out of it and the underlying narcissism or whatever the fuck it is that drives me to do this thing. Like, what, what, what are we fucking doing here? And I don't want to stop. Like, I love having a podcast. I just also don't know to whose benefit it is for me to pay any attention to the world. I thought it was yours. Yeah, sure. You didn't have to have any it's external benefit. It's just, you know, and it's good. Whose benefit is it we play Mario? That's true. Why do anything? What were you going to say? I'm, I'm like three episodes back and... The episode we did on Daylight Savings Time was like one of the funniest episodes of. Yeah, that was and a not good just like one. Our, when you were just, talking about the fucking right, news. Because it was like, because you know, sometimes I'll forget which episode we talked about which. And I was like, that was the same episode. We had like three different topics, like back to back to back. Like it was like the hands sign person, that the red hot chili peppers thing. And then there was some, it was just kind of like a. Not yeah, news. A lot of fun. Yeah, don't talk about the news. Yeah. We have great That's stuff. True. Talk about the news. Boring. Yeah, but then what is the show? Like, <laughs> what in the world is the show? Like that. It what be- is anything? Well, right, but it becomes this thing where, like, oh, yeah, that's fucking Bob and Abe. They're entertainers, and they can just fucking talk about anything. And people, like, but no, we it, aren't, and no, Abe we can't. Abe is. Abe it's, is that. It's just a snapshot in time, you know? Because sometimes it's like, oh, that wasn't. Like, if I listen back to something we did in November, and it's like, or that episode where I had the virus, I was like, oh, yeah, that was fun. I was quarantined. Well, <laughs> that was <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> Right. Why it, do it, I listen to Soren and Daniel? Right. It's no, it I enjoy works. It. it sure it works as a diary, effectively, yeah. of our yeah. friendship. <laughs> but other than that, like I don't know what it is, and that's fine. Like I like talk shows. I've always liked talk shows, and so here we are. But I would just think it's, it's easier just, to just have find like internal meaning in whatever you do, and then if something else comes from it, then it's just a happy accident. But that can be the plan because, like, you know. All those people out there. Yeah. Opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, who defended his thesis publicly this week, and is it's now official. Mark is is a, a PhD in some sort of uh, congratulations immunology and genetics. I don't know what the fucking thing is, but he did it. We should have him on on the Memorial Day Talk that about week. What are we doing, stuff? So for? he can declare that this is thing. <laughs> get a PhD. He has incrementally advanced human knowledge by one very, very small step, but he did it, and he's got the paperwork to prove it. We don't have shit. (laughs) Give it time. (laughs) We don't have as much debt either. That's true. Uh, Let's see. We watched... Over the, the art thing. over the last two weeks, we've sort of alternated, but we've completed two things. We completed yes. the Q documentary, oh. <laughs> and we completed the this is a robbery. The this is a robbery uh, thing on Netflix about the Boston Museum art heist from back in the in 1990. Is that one any good? Yeah, that's nah, fine. The, the long story short is they don't know who did it, or they sort of know who did it. They're guessing they know who did it, but. They haven't found the art yet, 
and will you help us find the art, please, public? It was fine. It it gets muddled in the middle, maybe because I was fucking wasted well, on Friday night. I was looking night. at Twitter is what he was doing. <laughs> oh, I couldn't pay attention to the middle because I was Twitter. Um, I'm fine, though. I don't have a problem. I'm talking about the drinking or the Twitter. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Twitter. It was fine. We was, finished two things. Yeah, and the Q documentary so was fine too. I didn't. I don't know that I learned anything from no, six, five or six all, hours of the Q Twitter. documentary. There, there had been a few stories that they did about it, and they identified who was the likely person behind it. And I think I listened to a, a podcast too that they said, "Oh, it's the, the, the Watkins idiots," and they they stretched. Yeah, reply. I think Reply All had a podcast a few months ago talking about how they think it's probably the Watkins. Right, right. So nothing new, but you know, it was in video. Nothing new, but it is perfectly fun to watch, I suppose. I feel like we had to watch, watch that suppose. because of you. Like, we just had to. There was no not watching that. Right. Yeah, I don't know that I could have not like watched it the, in the, the long run. I stuck it out, but the first episode, I just, I, I have, anytime I see somebody who's, like, sincerely into the Q stuff, I just have this, like, embarrassment, like, for them. It's, I realized, I put my finger on it, so it's the same as, like... The imagined dorks at Comic Con, <laughs> where like William Shatner yelled at that Star Trek fan once, like none of this is real. <laughs> like that's it's the yeah. same thing. Where like th- they don't get that it's not real, right. and they're like, "Well, but this secret government." Right. And then you're like, "No, no, no, no that's not is- real." And they're like. Okay, but it is. So, given that premise, right. like, they can't, they're just Comic-Con dorks. Right. But it's not, at least... Except it's about this. At least the Comic-Con stuff is, like, somewhat elaborate the stories. This is just, like, some idiot coming up with nonsense. It's not even, like... No, but it made it... it they made it an elaborate story. Well, yeah. Because when yeah, you start with fiction, you can go anywhere. They're doing all the heavy lifting. And that's yeah. what they've done. Yeah. It's like Superman and Batman and whoever right. else. It's like all that stuff. When there are no rules, you can make it all up and say it's true. Yeah. It's just those same people. What are you getting into lately, Abe? I uh, It's been a rough stretch for movie watching at the uh, AMC. Um, I think that the best movie I've seen recently is like, King Kong versus Godzilla because every other movie has been pretty bad. Are they not playing like old movies there at your? Yeah, but AMC they seem to, to be at weird times. That I, it's like three o'clock or something. I can't go. Okay. There was this movie called Voyagers, uh, which was basically like Lord of the Flies, but in space, but also terrible. Like just really <laughs> bad. Like no no yeah. effort was put on it. It's just a terrible movie, and I just sat there for two hours, just like this is bad. But we, for some reason, rewatched Jumper. Do you remember oh, Jumper <laughs> from? <laughs> That's us. Awesome. Bob yeah. really wanted to watch it again. I think I may have the DVD of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, oh, wow. <laughs> oh wow! But it was like in a bundle. I didn't choose it specifically. It was like a five for whatever deal. I also, uh, and this was recommended by somebody else. It's on Netflix. It's a short. And it's actually nominated for the Oscars for in the short, whatever department. It was yeah. called Two. Distant Strangers or some variation of it. Oh, yeah. It's basically like it gave like a Groundhog Day treatment where the person's like in this loop. But he keeps on getting shot by the police. Basically like a black guy getting shot in different ways and woe is me. I can't get out of it because blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in real life, you can't really criticize the person getting shot. But in a fictional setting, this person 
it takes him 99 times to get shot before he figures out, like, maybe I need to come up with a different move. <laughs> and I'm like, it would take me, like, two times. Like, the second time, I was like, all right, buddy, what's up? Like, I was show because throughout the whole thing, he kept on resisting. Like, just, uh, like you know, the cop is just being a dick, right? That's his whole thing. It's kind of like a Black Mirror episode where he's deliberately agitating him just so he can give a, just find a reason to shoot him or choke him. Right. And throughout different iterations, he still does similar, like, I don't have to show you anything or come on, man. The, the, the cigarette is not weed, you know, like basically the guy just saying, oh, that smells like weed or is that, a, you know, money in your right. pocket. And he keeps on. Well, maybe they're maybe they're trying to make a point. Yeah, babe, yeah. About not the... a good one. Because <laughs> at the end, his way out is basically like to talk to the cop and just say we're in a loop. And the cop is like, oh, OK, let me take you home. And he I'm not going to spoil it, but a little more effort. But it was interesting. I mean, maybe I'm just getting this from your description of it. Are they trying to do a thing where they're saying we're all just in this loop? The the whole racism thing is just a repeating loop over and over again through history? Is that like sort of the meta point the of meta the film? The meta point seems possibly? to be you can't – if you're some uh, black guy, you can't escape it. Because basically there was no scenario out for him. Like the, it's, after 32 minutes, there was no out. Abe, you, uh, you got anything else for us tonight? I do actually, Bob. As you know, I'm a uh, status quo kind of guy, which is why I'm naturally a bit suspicious of these companies like Tesla, what with their battery-powered cars and claims of autopilot and self, full self-driving. Well, over the weekend, I hate to say it, but my suspicions were borne out. Over the weekend, a Tesla with two occupants but no one in the driver's seat left a small residential road at a high rate of speed, crashed into a tree, and burst into flames. It took the fire department four hours and over 30,000 gallons of water to completely put the blaze out because the lithium-ion battery in the car kept reigniting. Elon Musk is claiming that the data logs that they've seen suggest that autopilot wasn't engaged at the time of the accident, which is less reassuring than I think he means it to sound, as it raises all sorts of questions. Primarily, how sure are we that this isn't one of those opening salvos of some other larger conflict. A shot across the bow and into the hearts of two dead Texans, the first victims of the 21st century robot wars. I would love that. I think that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. because of twitter like without twitter there would be no forum for these stupid conversations to take place there would be an article in the hollywood reporter and it would be like yeah well everybody knows scott's an asshole uh and maybe somebody the, the and yeah to an extent it does function as like the boss of the people who don't have bosses right and so in that way you can hold people accountable who previously you could never hold scott rudin accountable in the confines of the hollywood studio system right he's the only shark that matters in that particular pool and if you can get him out of that pool into the pool of say twitter then yeah in a way he can be held to account for behavior that previously he wasn't that is the most favorable steel manning uh, argument that I can give for why Twitter should exist. It's all kind of random, though. That's the only 
thing. I don't understand how this process works. I my conspiracy theory is that people that are under them that uh, stand to profit from their demise are peddling these things. It's like, oh, right. that guy was an asshole, and then next week they'll they'll get his job. So keep an eye on those people because like things that happen many over many many years are all of a sudden coming to the fore. I mean, when it's an actual thing, obviously go with it. But sometimes, like these stories, it's just like, oh, he was what's an asshole for a long time, and he's out now. It's like, oh, okay, right. And yeah, people shouldn't go ballistic when somebody just makes a mistake. That's not good. But does that mean that that like, like what 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 should be the consequence of somebody who loses their temper when an underling makes a mistake? Besides, like I don't like I don't I just don't know. I don't know what the consequence of that should be. Eighteen they months be- banishment. Come back. <laughs> 23. Your run-of-the-mill alpha male piece of shit. Here we are, Abe. Cast iron brings. I regret it. You should have done it.